we've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer. Tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. We definitely want to be seen as the idea people, and boy, aren't we creative and we look at things differently. But we also want to be known for our productivity, our reliability, and creating client satisfaction. And those two don't have to be in conflict. And that's what we're going to listen and learn with our guest today, Major General Robert Mixon. General Mixon, welcome to our show. Hey, thanks, Mark. It's an honor to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. And General Mixon, his decades of leadership in the military, in the U.S. Army, commanded the 7th Infantry in say that fast, infantry, infantry. <laughs> <laughs> and the forecasting Colorado uh, base until his retirement. But now he's consulting profit and nonprofit companies on, on leadership principles. And maybe we could start there, General Mixon. You know, when we think of the military and particularly the army, you know, creativity may not be the first word that comes to mind. You know, we do want to think about following rules and executing orders and implementation. But where does the creativity come in, even in a military setting? Well, thanks, Mark. If we look back on the military, on my military journey of 33 years, and it's hard for me to believe it's been 15 years since I retired from division command. But along that journey, what I learned in the military was that there was a tremendous amount of creativity inside our organization and operation. For example, there's a concept called called the commander's intent. I'd, I'd like to cover or briefly describe when we have a mission, we're given a mission, then the commander gives us his or her intent, which is a distillation of the mission into some key components. And the key components of the mission are the end state, what does success look like, the key tasks we have to perform for that end state to come to life, and then the purpose, the why. That evolution of mission and intent is now, the, the Army calls it mission command. It was very descriptive in terms of what were we supposed to do and when was it supposed to be accomplished and the why, why we were conducting this mission. But what was not in there was the how. We were charged with developing the how. And that's where the creativity opportunity really uh, emerged in my Army experience. I found that the best commanders were the ones who were specifically not going to give us the how. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were going to ask us to come back with recommendations, with options for the how inside that mission command and commander's intent framework. Yes. So I think that's really a remarkable element of the military culture that some people don't realize is out there, but it certainly helps nurture creativity and innovation among military leaders. And it certainly transfers into our corporate uh, lives because I took the commander's intent with me right into you know, my corporate experience in, in manufacturing companies, uh, for-profit, not-for-profit. Absolutely. Well, and in your book, uh, Cows in the Living Room, you were talking about developing 
and these effective strategic plans. And I think of a strategic plan, you know, or in maybe a creative's vernacular, the brief, you know, the guidelines, here's the plan of action uh, with the why and the purpose all behind it. But the uh, tactical thinking does require some creativity. It really does. You know, the, the how should be nurtured among your junior leaders. And if you're, if you're prescriptive and you tell them the how, then you're really growing followers, not leaders. So interesting. And I guess the conventional wisdom out in the lay public like myself is that these are inside the lines, inside the box, you know, don't distract or detract from the plan. But it sounds like there's more thinking to that. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the great boxers in history said that, you know, no plan ever survives the first punch in the face. <laughs> uh, I think the same is true in, our, in the military and in, in all aspects of our lives. You know, a plan is a basis for change. And if we're not adaptive as leaders, as organizations, and we're rigid in our fixation on the plan, then I think our chances of success are very low. And yet I wanted to pivot to some of these adjectives and descriptives of, yes, a military unit, but then I think leaders and managers at all levels, you know, thinking about how to improve processes, how to be more productive. So on the other hand, you know, we think of creatives, they're not all that productive. Sometimes we aren't reliable to meet uh, deadlines, but how can we improve in that area? What have you seen in terms of a leadership function and performance? Well, you know, I have the big six principles that uh, I've learned over time from much smarter people than me. And those six principles are essentially the, I think, foundation of where creativity can, can arise. And so I'll extrapolate them if you're okay with that. Absolutely. Uh, the first one set the azimuth. The azimuth is a term learned in the military. Basically, it's your cardinal direction for the organization, for the team. So you set the azimuth, which includes your mission, intent, I just talked about, your values, and your culture. So you establish that up front. And the second principle is listen. We need to become more effective listeners. I don't see that, see that across our society today as a very common trait. We need to listen with the intent. As uh, I think Stephen Covey said, the intent to understand, not the intent to reply. Yes. The third principle is trust and empower. Empowerment is the embodiment of trust. But if we don't nurture that aspect of our culture, then we'll end up with an environment of distrust, which is toxic. Uh, the fourth one is do the right thing when no one's looking. As we say in the Pentagon, that briefs well. But it's very difficult to do because we have to value the process over the outcome and do the right thing. Uh, the fifth one is when in charge, take charge. And unlike uh, a lot of people, you know, relate with the military, it's not being loud and, and profane and, you know, directed. It's being the calm and the chaos. It's being the one who uh, promotes uh, feedback and discussion, honest discussion, and even promotes uh, vulnerability in many cases because leaders need to be willing to be vulnerable if they're going to be genuine. And the sixth principle is balance the personal and professional, which means we've got to take our careers very seriously, our mission very seriously, but we don't take ourselves that way. And we have to promote balance among each other. And it's not all about time with work life. It's about having the values you, that you really believe in guide your actions. And that's where balance lives. So those six principles now become the foundation, as I mentioned earlier, of promoting and nurturing a culture of innovation, a culture of creativity. Because when you have those ingredients present in your culture, in your ecosystem, 
now people want to contribute. They want to do things perhaps a little differently. You know, the better, faster, cheaper pathway now becomes more obvious than the way we always did it. And so that's where I think a great organization can plant the seeds and grow the seeds of of creativity. Mm-hmm. And those pillar, pillars that you were talking about, these six sort of cultural attributes, maybe you can give us some perspective, uh, General Mixon, because over time, we have gone through, I'll say phases, but you may have seen it more consistently, where the hiring of veterans into companies was a challenge. And seeing the translation of a military experience of a veteran into maybe the workplace, uh, the business and commerce uh, was hard for hiring managers to see. Has that changed? Has that improved? I think there are efforts to improve it, Mark. I don't know that we've moved the needle far enough. Uh, And I say that because veterans can provide a tremendous resource to any company and organization, but you've got to look for them and you've got to promote their development as part of the hiring process uh, and the onboarding process. We tend to not know enough about veterans because we don't have enough members of our population who have served. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it right now, the demographics are that 95% of adult Americans have never served in the military in any capacity. That's a far different different paradigm than it was 20 years ago, for Mm -hmm. example. And so we have a whole host of of employers and and organizations that don't know what they don't know. It's not their fault. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. So I think one of the things that I would encourage employers to do is, you know, get smarter uh, about veterans and their, their, their background and their qualifications and, and learn more so that uh, you understand more about what it is to serve uh, in the military. And how that sort of translates, or you can help them translate it into a corporate role of responsibility. One of the things that, that veterans really, I think, bring to a workplace is a sense of duty, a sense of doing what needs to be done. You know, the big six principles I just mentioned, for example. Routinely, I think they're going to be reliable. They're going to be used to getting the mission accomplished. Sometimes when it runs beyond five o'clock, they're going to be team players. Uh, they understand that there's no I in team. You know, they're organized into teams from the day they first put the uniform on and go to boot camp. So they bring some, I think, behavioral attributes to the workplace, which can be very, very productive and very, very, um, I think, valuable to the overall productivity and uh, performance of an organization. Mm-hmm. Well, and I loved reading in your background that after you left military service, you continued to support and work for veterans with disabilities, with mental health challenges, mm-hmm. and so forth. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that nonprofit work. I was privileged to uh, be part of an organization called CDS Monarch, and now it's called CDS Life Transitions is the bigger organization which I joined in 2009, and under the vision of the CEO, uh, Sankar Siwanath, a very entrepreneurial, visionary person, we established a program called Warrior Salute for veterans who were transitioning from the military and struggling. They were struggling with traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, some cases military sexual trauma. They needed some help. They needed a bridge to get from their military journey into successful independent living 
because of these challenges. And so since CDS had a core mission of providing life and job transition for men and women with intellectual disabilities, there was a, an opportunity, a pathway for the Warrior Salute Program to leverage some of, of those uh, skills that CDS already had and Sankar's passion for giving back to our veterans. And the program today has been in being now for over 12 years. We've served over 400 veterans in that program located in Western New York, uh, there in Rochester. We're looking to expand it to other parts of the country. Uh, right now we're looking to, to establish a program here in Florida. And we find that the 90% success rate that we have is remarkable among veteran programs. Now we do that in partnership with the VA, for example. So it's a community-based program that has links to other uh, programs. But I've been proud to be a part of that effort. Uh, I'm a, a father of two soldiers, uh, one still on active duty and my daughter-in-law. And so I've got skin in the game. And I believe that um, you know we, we owe our veterans all we can provide them to help them transition successfully, uh, having done so much and made so many sacrifices for us. Well. First of all, thank you and your family for your service, but I thank you even more for this continuing service. If I can sort of walk out a little bit more on this issue, I, I, I'm so interested in the potential contradiction between how many of us Americans have never served and yet how little we often recognize and serve those who have. And so I really admire uh, this organization's mission and thank you for that. Well, thanks, Mark. We we have a long way to go. And the requirements, the needs of veterans for our help as a society are not going away anytime soon. Mm -mm. You know, we just ended 20 years of war. We didn't didn't end it well, but we ended it. And, and um, we now have a generation of veterans that are going to be among us uh, for the rest of our lives. And, and these men and women are going to they're going to need our help. They're going to need our help from service organizations, but they're gonna need our help in the workplace. They're gonna need our help in the in the school system. They're gonna need our help in the neighborhoods. And I think where we can help is by going back to that second principle I talked about, by listening, actively listening, actively seeking uh, to see where we can support them as a community um, in every aspect of life. And not they don't look, they're not looking for handouts. Uh, well, I'm talking about providing them with opportunities. And we've talked a lot about opportunities in our society recently and how we need to create more opportunities for all Americans mm -hmm. in, in every walk of life. So I think we need to open the aperture for veterans in this framework as well. Mm -hmm. Well, in General Mixon, there may be uh, creative listeners who want to get involved in that. So before I turn the page to your current work, I'd like to maybe pause and have you tell us where could we connect with this organization and see if we could contribute to the efforts. Well, CDS Life Transitions has a very active website, cdslifetransitions.org, O-R-G. Warrior Salute has a, a site inside that website family. Again, warriorsalute.org. You can just go there and you can find more information. You can find out how you can help. There are a number of ways you can help. You know, it's a obviously a not-for-profit organization and, and in many ways depends on, on support from... Uh, from individuals and communities, both in a financial way as well as in, uh, you know, an offer to support in other ways. So that's where I would suggest people go to learn more about CDS and, and its magnificent culture and, and history and Warrior Salute as well. 
Well, we'll definitely connect with that. And we'll put all those links in our show notes so people can refer to them. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Well, as we uh, move to the present now, perhaps I could respectfully move from General Mixon to Robert Mixon, the owner of Level 5 Associates. Uh, I love the fact that you're bringing this values-based leadership, but tell us about the, I'll say curriculum even, or the approach that you're taking to translate some of these values into modern day, you know, dynamic company leadership that we're living in now. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mark. We Level 5 Associates is a company that is really almost an army of one, if you will. But our goal is to provide individuals and organizations with leadership tools that work, that are values-based and based on the right values. So the big six principles form the core of our offerings to individuals and organizations, both in executive coaching, one-on-one, which I do uh, a fair amount of strategic planning. That's what the Cows and Living Room book was based on. It was a handbook in that regard. And in leadership development of high-performing teams. Uh, I wrote uh, the book, We're All In, about the journey to a world-class culture a few years ago, which really provides people with at least a snapshot of what does a world-class culture look like. But in order to have a world-class culture, you got to have world-class leaders, leaders who get it. And so I work, I conduct workshops for teams uh, and individuals over a period of time, usually half-day workshops on each of the big six principles, where we focus on discovery learning, on practical application. Uh, I'm not very esoteric. So if we want to talk about the right brain, left brain, I'm I'm not your person. But if you want to talk about tools that work, uh, we can help. Because uh, I've screwed up most of these principles in one form or another. And through the mistakes I've made, uh, I learned. Uh, I learned and I learned through the patience of some other leaders who underwrote my mistakes. Sometimes when I didn't deserve it, I can say that. <laughs> so it's a it's a process of engagement where first we seek to learn about you, then bring in some of the packages that we talked about or programs that we talked about over a period of time to work with individuals and leaders and give them practical application tools that they can employ every day. Well, and under this practical, I guess, heading, uh, you're very prolific in writing about some of these principles and these tactics and these plans and programs. In fact, uh, you've got a, a biweekly blog. It's got a couple of thousand subscribers, but you also mm-hmm. put out an ebook a couple of years ago called Who Saw This Coming? And What Do We Do Now? I yeah. couldn't help but think uh, over the last even two years, and you, you who saw this coming? <laughs> Robert. No, nobody that I know, uh, yes. Mark. I, I I believe we were we were all truly genuinely surprised by the perfect storm. And I think the perfect storm was a convergence of uh you know what what COVID represented in, in large part, but also a number of other factors, you know, social unrest, global tension, economic uh turbulence. All these factors sort of converged at a point in time. And I don't think any of us were completely expecting it. I know I wasn't, and I don't think we were completely prepared for it. Mm-hmm. So many of us were more unprepared than prepared. But yes. what it forced us to do was go back to the basics, I think. Uh, the most successful individuals and teams since that time have been able to go back to the basics and rely on those fundamentals, on those values, uh, the big six principles. Leaders have told me that they went right back to the big six as they're as they face this incredible uncertainty and said, okay, let's, let's set our azimuth again. Let's reset our azimuth. Let's review our mission, our intent, 
our values, our culture, and let's capture it. Let's you know saddle up here. Let's promote and practice active listening with the intent to understand. Let's respect each other, which listening represents. Let's nurture trust and empower people to make the decisions at the right level. You know, let's do the right thing. Yeah. Let's demonstrate the right thing. Let's reward the right thing. Let's promote being calm in the chaos. Promote, promote the capability in our organizations to learn. You know, one of my best leaders I've ever known, uh, Colonel then General Don Holder, taught me that, you know, there are two ways you can ask a question when something goes wrong. One of the ways you can say is, what were you thinking, Robert? <laughs> the other way is, so Robert, what did we learn? The difference in those questions, in the tenor and way those questions are framed, is night and day. If you're going to promote positivity in your organization, that's what taking charge is. Taking charge is promoting positivity, promoting a learning culture. You know, Amy Edmondson from Harvard came up with the idea of this, you know, a psychological safety environment where the best organizations live because they promote a, a culture of learning, not a culture of blaming. And uh, she used Google as one of the classic examples of that culture. And the you know the, the sixth principle balance is critically important in the world we've we've been through over the last couple of years. We've got to generate and sustain balance in ourselves and in others. Balance mm-hmm. is not a matter of time. It's a matter of energy. You have four inter- energy batteries inside all of us, the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. If you don't nurture those batteries, people are unhealthy and they're unproductive. Uh, often, a lot of times we allow people to become burnt out because we're not watching. We're not listening as leaders for those warning signs. And we don't seek to help people until it's too late mm-hmm. to help them. So I believe that what we've learned in the last couple of years is that, you know, it's time it's time to go back to the basics and re- restore and reinforce those big six and to bring them to life in ourselves and our leaders and our teams and our organization. And that way, people know that we care. Yes. I know it's the old saying that someone told me once, you know, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. That's right. Powerful. Well, and this kind of retrospective thinking, though, you know, what did we learn from this has a kind of a rearview mirror uh, feel to it. But here we are looking at a new year. Uh, looking ahead, there's an entrepreneur who's trying to make a business plan. There's a uh, senior manager who has been tasked with a five-year forecast. I don't even know how that works sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, but the contingency thinking of it, uh, as I think back to your military analogy, and that is, you know, we've got a strategic intent and we've developed our tactical plans, but we've got to do the what if. You know, if if this happens, how will we what react and respond? Uh, how does that apply in a future-looking business way? Well, I very much believe in strategic planning, as I mentioned earlier, Mark. Uh, you know, the healthiest and most successful companies are the ones who think strategically and act tactically. Well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, I think you build a plan of of what do you want the organization to look like in three to four years, and that end state, if you will, I mentioned earlier in the commander's intent, how the end state is captured. But you start with the end in mind. And then I like to use the reverse planning sequence to come back to now. So if three years we look like this, and you, I would say we look like this in terms of our productivity, profitability, uh, success, 
or service performance, you know, some type of metrics, because that which is measured gets done. If we use hope as a method, I tell you, I've tried it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. So we have to have metrics that we establish as our three to four year end state objective and then work backwards to now and build a plan with milestones in it that ensures that when we get those key tasks accomplished by when that end state will come to life. Then at the same time, I think we have to develop some contingency plans. We need to have a plan B and a plan C. And again, this is a plan as a basis for change, but you start with that strategic roadmap and then you have some contingency plans that are based on what ifs, uh, you know, that the conditions would change. I like to build a set of assumptions under which the plan is based. And if these assumptions change, then I've got to change the plan. Mm-hmm. And that really is valuable. A lot of people will make a plan without assumptions and then they're constantly shifting because people make their own assumptions. If you don't establish them as a team, they'll yes. make up their own. So well, and you've probably seen like I have somebody in the room who is talking about those what ifs or, you know, what if the bridge is out? What if there's potholes? What if mm-hmm. that uh, path isn't available to us are seen as, you know, you're, you're so negative. You're so pessimistic. You, you want to be the devil's advocate, but you're, you're, you know, derailing our strategic planning process, but don't, <laughs> but don't they have a place? They do. And, you know, in the military, we call it red teaming. And I think mm. it applies very much in the corporate world too. I'm Whenever gonna, we I'm conducted, steal that term. <laughs> yeah. The red teaming is, is, is the sort of a systemic devil's advocate uh, process in your organization. You know, you, you either assign certain people to be the disruptors or the what if people, uh, or, or you promote that behavior yourself in terms of, uh, of planning process. We had a red team in the military who were, they were assigned to uh, portray the enemy and portray the enemy uh, having a plan of its own and trying to implement that plan on us while we were trying to implement that plan for them. So that action, reaction, counteraction was what we put into our wargaming process. And I think uh, military organizations have set a good standard that the rest of us could learn from in that wargaming process. So you establish the strategy, the plan with the end state. You establish the assumptions under which the plan is built. And then you have a red team component as you go through the rehearsal of your plan, which is, you know, uh, I think a very valuable component if you practice it. And then someone portrays your opposition, your competition, your environmental disruptors, you know, that put those factors in there. And then you have an action, reaction, counteraction process to refine your plan. Now, that sounds very complex. It's really not once you practice it a few times. And maybe you get some help to do it. I mean, sometimes we look inside, we only look inside, and we could we could probably get some help from other people who have made the mistakes before we made them or made more than we have and could come in and say, wait a minute, maybe you need to think about this or maybe you need to consider that. So I think there's a lot of ingredients to this formula, but that this is how learning organizations thrive. Love that. Well, Robert, what a great conversation. And before I ask you a concluding question, as I did before, how can we get in touch with you and follow your work and learn more about what Level 5 is doing? Well, thanks, Mark. My website is, you know, www.level5associates.com. Spell out the five. Okay, Level 5 Associates. There you'll see 
uh, our products and services. You'll see a little bit about me and, and my background. You'll have a library of the blogs that I've written over the past uh, several years, links to the books if you're so inclined. And uh, I encourage people to go there and take a look. And they can contact me there. There's a contact form there. Or you can write to me at robert at level5associates.com. I read my emails. I can assure you that. Uh, my phone number is area code 585-797-8554. And uh, I also... <laughs> I also listen to the to the phone and the voicemail, and I respond. So please reach out if you'd like to talk. Oh, and it sounds like uh, anybody who calls is going to get some good insight. And I guess right. that's where I wanted to conclude with this, Robert. Is that is you know we've looked back on experience and you know learnings and all the ways that we can apply these experiences. But let's look ahead over the horizon for you. What do you instead of saying who saw that coming? <laughs> what what are you looking for? both in business and maybe your own personal creativity. I believe that uh, this period of uncertainty that the new year offers us, I think that may be a weak term, but you know, the new year offers us is an opportunity to, to be more agile. And I'm working on, you know, learning to think differently and, and, and more creatively every day. I love to interact with other leaders and organizations and learn from them. I think we're going to see a continuing vacuum in our uh, leadership ranks in many parts of our society that are troubling to me, certainly in the political arena, but I think there are other aspects of, uh, of our leadership framework that are, are in jeopardy. So more than ever, I think it going ahead, we need to co connect with each other in a meaningful way. And I mean that by, by having the courage to establish and, and promote our values, the right values, doing the right thing, and to not fall into the trap of allowing our values to erode. We need to be more unified than divided, and we need to have conversations that may not be comfortable with each other in different venues. And I intend to promote that type of work, both professionally and personally. Uh, I, I intend to support the veteran community in any way that I can. We're working now on a, on a project to bring affordable housing to veterans here in Florida, Central Florida. They're even using the term now attainable because it's almost not affordable. Mm. But we're going to figure this out. And we're going to figure out how to provide safe, quality uh, housing and all the other services with it for our veterans here uh, in Florida. And I think we need to do it around the country. So those are my sort of cause-related uh, efforts going forward here, Mark. And, and I intend to keep Level 5 operational as long as people want to well, work with with me and what we do and and grow. Oh, fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing that forward-looking vision and all the work that you're doing. And as I said before, thanks so much for your service, not only in the past, uh, in your military service, but in your service to veterans now. Those who have served our country deserve our support, and I appreciate thanks. it. Thanks, Mark. I enjoyed the conversation, and, and I wish all of you well. Yes, thank you. Well, my guest has been General Robert Mixon, and uh, so much good work and so much good insight on values and leadership from Robert today. So listeners, continue to come back to our podcast. We're exceeding now 120,000 downloads. We're on our 220th something episode. And it's all because of your listening and your support and your interaction. And uh, Robert has also encouraged us to continue to create connections and community. And that's a part of this podcast. We want people to get ideas and make connections and really collaborate 
where we can to improve our creativity, yes, but also, as Robert's mentioned, improve our leadership in the community, in our country, and beyond. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll continue to unlock your world of creativity. See you soon. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliQ Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and thepeaceroom.love. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media. The Patients Speak, Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83 Bar. Look for The Patients Speak on your favorite podcast app.